fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then continue to talk about the ongoing occupation of Palestine with my friend Vienno. Okay. Yeah. I'm down. <laughs> Good topic. <laughs> How are you, Vienno? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah. Saw a rainbow the other day. Like, I don't know. Like, it's... Things are all right. It's okay. How are you? Yeah, the rain was nice. Definitely nice for the uh, the vegetables I got growing. But uh, now there's like a sharp downturn in the temperature and it's uh, freezing again after we just had like a huge heat wave. But I can't complain too much, I guess. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I'm desperately trying not to make it so that we have a five minute conversation about the weather in London, Ontario yeah. <laughs> again. Listen. However... <laughs> I mean, we talked about pollen last time, but like, you know, the weather is just like, the weather has been so weird. I mean, it does play into the show with the anti-global warming shit we get on the uh, Rebel all the time, where it's like, we're seeing weather fluctuations, which feel abnormal to me. I know it's hard to like project local climate uh, conditions to a global phenomenon like climate change, but it does seem weirder than usual, does it not? 35 degrees Celsius in May is pretty fucked up, I gotta say. Like, it was bad. And also, we were, if we hadn't had that rain yesterday, we would have had the driest May since, like, weather started being recorded in this area. Yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, climate change and global warming and just, like, fucking up the water table and so on and so forth and all things that Ezra is like hell yeah we need to do more of this yes so I mean it's relevant to complain about it but uh I guess for the sake of our audience we will move on <laughs> although I will say this this probably will legitimately be a shorter episode only because again this this week more than other weeks was very repetitive you get the same the same kind of talking points over and over again about the pandemic and it's just not worth going over them they even repeated a lot of the same content regarding the uh escalation in palestine but uh there were some additional things that i think are worthwhile to talk about so our main segment will go over that but we'll probably be a lot more brief than we were last time and uh it'll be nice to have a bit of a shorter show anyways because then uh, we can catch up with our schedule, which has fallen behind a little bit. But yeah, so I, I hope you are in for the ride. <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> and with that, the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from May 17th to May 21st. Ezra is mad that some government officials suggested tracking software and using drones during the pandemic to ensure people are following COVID restrictions. Ezra sees this as the government pilot testing a surveillance state to control us all. I think these privacy concerns are in fact worrying. Credit where credit is due, but Ezra only seems to worry about them when the security state is targeting him, but didn't seem to mind this when, say, the security state was targeting Muslims. Or indigenous protesters. Or Black Lives Matter. 
or any marginalized group. <laughs> yeah. You can just like plug that in. David Menzies was threatened with criminal harassment by, po- by the police for harassing trans protesters in Elmer who were protesting an anti-lockdown rally. As far as I know, the practice of journalism is not illegal yet. So unless I'm mistaken, you can write me up for a ticket. Happen, okay, Mr. Menzies, you're going to leave this area. I've asked you not to harass these people. If you come back and you speak with them, you will be arrested. for. I am on a public piece of land. You have no right whatsoever to make me leave this area. I I do have a right to to allow you. Can you quote me the law, sir? Okay. Yeah, criminal harassment, okay? They've asked you to to not speak with them and not to bother them. I'm conducting journalism, sir. Ezra says it is not harassment, but repeatedly asking someone questions and shoving a mic in their face after they have told you to leave them alone is not journalism and is, in fact, harassment. To prove that it is not harassment, David Menzies promises to go back next week and engage in the same behavior if those protesters return. Ezra compares Canada to the UK and wonders why the UK is opening up and parts of Canada are still in lockdown. Whether it is good public health policy for the UK to open up or not, Ezra never engages with the fact that the UK is ahead of Canada in terms of vaccination. Countries are also more or less risk-averse, And if Ezra was being honest, he would have a meaningful discussion about the risks. But Ezra has consistently downplayed all of the risks associated with COVID-19. Kids who are 12 and above can now get vaccinated without their parents' consent. Ezra thinks this is somehow a violation to these kids' parents. He argues that the vaccine is not safe because every single CDC member has not been vaccinated yet. But what if half of the people at the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, and the FDA, the vaccine pushers, what if half of them refused to take the jab? What would that mean? Do you think 12-year-olds would be impressed with that statistic? I am. This is a silly metric to determine vaccine safety and is precisely why we would waive parental consent for vaccines. So kids who are forced by their parents to not get vaccinated for bad reasons can choose to get it done themselves without their parents' consent. Ezra finishes the week by saying cases were down after Christmas, and says this had nothing to do with a vaccine, as if this proves vaccines don't work. Flu season's over. There's herd immunity. It's the summer, whatever, I don't know, but it's over. And politically, it's over. I showed you the charts, province by province, the other day. Deaths are plummeting in Canada, too. They did after Christmas. Nothing to do with the vaccines. The vaccines weren't available widely then. But if the cases went down because of a lockdown back in January, something that Ezra has consistently denied is effective. Yet here he is, using the results of the lockdown to argue that decreases in cases have nothing to do with vaccines. And that is the week! So again, this week we're mostly going to talk about things that Ezra has to say about the ongoing escalation in Palestine. If you want to hear more about that, I recommend you checking out our last episode, episode 77, which went over uh, a bit more of the background, I guess, of what's going on there right now, uh, including what's happening at uh, Sheikh Jarrah specifically. But some things had come up this week that Ezra wants to chat about, which are is mostly complete bullshit and I think worth highlighting. And the first of this of these like bullshit claims is whether or not there was violence at the pro-Palestinian protests that occurred across this country. And one event in particular 
got a lot of, uh, uh, was publicized a lot, eventually led to both Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau apology, uh, like uh, decrying uh, anti-Semitic attacks. And this was an event that occurred at the Toronto uh, pro-Palestinian uh, rally. And the, like, the first initial footage that was coming out showed a man who was bleeding from his forehead and another man who appeared to be uh, attacked by a bunch of people who were carrying Palestinian flags. The initial footage came out, and that's why Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau, immediately jumped on saying, we decry these acts of anti-Semitism. This means that this gives a perfect opportunity for Ezra on his program to come out and also decry that there's uh, these anti-Semitic attacks that are occurring, what he wants to frame as these pro-Hamas rallies. And we will get to eventually uh, whether or not that's fair to describe these as pro-Hamas rallies, but that's how he's framing it. So he's like, they're anti-Semitic rallies and they're pro-Hamas rallies. Look at this video footage. <sighs> <laughs> this might be uh, news to some, but it turned out when you got the full context of this video, the Palestinian activists were not the ones that provoked this attack. It was provoked by a bunch of people that were not only waving Israeli flags, but were wearing t-shirts that said explicitly Jewish Defense League. The man, who was also bleeding from the head, hit people with a stick first, and then pulled out a knife. So this was clearly instigated by the people who were associating with the JDL, Jewish Defense League. And it's worth noting that the JDL is basically a terrorist organization by any metric you want to use. It's not listed in Canada as a terrorist organization. It is listed as a terrorist organization in the United States by the FBI. It's listed that way, not, you know, because they have a dangerous far-right ideology alone. Because, you know, that is very rarely the, like, reason to declare something a terrorist organization, especially in the U.S. Um, it's called that like, it's designated as that because of the assassinations and threats and bombings and mass killing that JDL members have done internationally. Um, most famously, the massacre at the Ibrahimi Mosque in Hebron in the West Bank, where a one of the founding members of the JDL went into this mosque during Friday prayers and opened fire, killing 30 people, including himself. Like, these people are not... Like, I don't even really like terrorist designations for the most part. Yeah. But <laughs> these people, like, are fucked up and dangerous and violent and just, like, shitty human beings that instigate fights anywhere that they can. And they're super, super present in Toronto and very willing to get into fights with people about it. Like, that's what happened at the York University um, fight, like, two years ago or whatever, where JDL members showed up and started fights with the pro-Palestine protesters because this is what they do. And it, the, 
terrorist designation is mostly worthwhile to bring up in terms of the narrative that Ezra's trying to paint here, where he wants to claim that all these pro-Palestinian protesters are really pro-Hamas protesters, and then say that Hamas is a terrorist organization, so therefore all these pro-Palestinian activists in Toronto are really terrorist activists. Meanwhile, the one group that actually instigated the violence in this instance, and like I want to say, like, You can never control everything, and there's going to be instances of violence on people that support causes that I support, and I'm not going to sit here and claim that there's no examples anywhere of a Palestinian or pro-Palestinian activist in Canada who's done something that I might find objectionable wherever we decide to draw that line. But the point is, what happened here was clearly not instigated by anyone associated with the, the Palestinian cause. And yet Ezra gets to use this and play this as if it does suit his narrative, and then he doesn't get to walk it back at all. Like, he never once, he addressed this on Monday, when the video initially started to surface and the, all the apologies started coming out, and then when it became very clear that that what was said does not accurately capture what happened at that event, there's not been a retraction since this has happened. You talk about things once, and if something objectionable comes comes up about it, then you just don't bring it up again. If nothing objectionable (laughs) comes out about it, then you get to keep talking about it, though. I also want to say, in terms of their allegiance, too, I mean, the JDL is very weird. My, My own example of interacting with JDL was at several rallies in town People uh, self-identifying as Jewish Defense League members and wearing Israeli flags on their flak jackets have been seen, and I've talked to them, at London City Hall as they stood and protected Pegida members. Now, Pegida has, uh, I guess, uh, clubs (laughs) or cells in Canada. Pegida is the people against the Islamization of the West. It is a German anti-immigrant organization, an anti-Muslim organization, whose leader is pro-Hitler and has praised Hitler. And yet, think about it, a Jewish group is protecting Pegida in Canada. Like, (laughs) think of where their allegiance lie here, and it's definitely they side with the far right. Maybe not against their own extermination, but they're probably going to be like, the far right wants us to have an ethno state, so we're going to ally with them in the meantime to get it kind of thing. And it's just creepy associations that they get involved with to to side with people who, who, who are their allies in terms of being anti-Muslim, which is like the terrifying thing about them. God. Well, I don't know. I would never ally with a Nazi myself, you know? That's just me. Yeah, that's... I don't know. It is very telling about, like, who who a group is willing to ally with is very just like telling of what their actual beliefs are, regardless of what might make sense for them to support considering the JDL's like supposed defensive Jewish people. Like, Well, they claim their organization is to fight against anti-Semitism no matter what the means, and yet they're allying with Nazis. Mm-hmm. Think about that. <laughs> But these are the people that Justin Trudeau and Doug Ford were apologizing for. And I do want to say it, because this this 
does need to be said given the types of people that we cover on the show, which is that there has been an increase in some anti-Semitic attacks, both in the U.S. and in Canada. And anti-Semitism is not good. I don't like the fact that we have to talk about anti-Semitism every single time Israel does something uh, uh, atrocious to Palestinians, but like... It happens, and it sucks that there's been a rise of anti-Semitism, and I don't think, I really think that for the most part we should continue to push that message that being pro-Palestinian does not mean that you have to be anti-Semitic. In fact, it shouldn't mean that you be anti-Semitic. Like, end of the day, anti-Semitism feeds Zionism, and so if you are going to be anti-Zionist, you need to also be fighting anti-Semitism. Like, those are... They are two things which heavily interact, is the, like, like Zionism feeds on the fear of the Jewish diaspora that they will be, like, targeted for hate crimes, and so they have somewhere safe to flee, if need be. But that is very easy to kind of cut out from under the, like, like, just, like, cut out the sort of, you know, necessity of fleeing by fighting anti-Semitism and making as much of the world as you possibly can a safe place for Jewish people. And that's ultimately, like, one very important aspect of fighting Zionism. Correct. And so, yes, if you see people being anti-Semitic, tell them to stop. You know, that's cool. But, like, at the same time, uh, yes, keep supporting Palestine. On that front as well, I, I wanted to bring up, we talked a lot about this on our live streams, so I recommend anyone listening to go check out the live streams. Uh, we covered Mocha, who's one of the videographers that works for Ezra, attended the pro-Palestinian and uh, pro-Israeli protests that were occurring in Montreal, and at one point, one of the pro-Israeli individuals, uh, I guess, mistook Mocha as being a pro-Palestinian protester and punched him in the face. Mocha, so then Mocha went to the police and had this on, uh, on camera and they actually uploaded it to YouTube where you can hear the person or the person's friend who, who punched him in the face basically call, not basically, calls Arabs dirty and says they likely are carrying knives because they're dirty. Officer here. Yeah. I'm here, I'm recording, he punched me. Wow, what? I, can't, I Look, can't really see it. Don't lie, brother, I saw... Look. Yes, he, he was just... protecting himself, I saw him. I, no, I'm, I'm not rebel, he's bro. not protecting. I'll tell you something, I'll tell you something. Yes, they came see. with a knife, they're so, there so, with so. knives. Look, they here. came with knives. You know what this difference between Jews and Arabs? Arabs, they We're have knives, either, they're right, dirty. Sir, it was interesting to me that they posted this online because given their pro-Israel stance, I wasn't expecting them to, to share that with the world, but they did cool but not one time this whole week even in the context of talking about this this supposed attack in toronto did they ever mention the fact that one of the reporters was likely racially profiled and then punched in the face by a pro-israel supporter who then went on to call arabs dirty not once on the main show did he ever bring this up and we even like went back and i guess mocha went on a david uh, menzies uh they did a segment together that's now up on YouTube, 
And there they even started walking back some of their initial claims. So Mocha's original video, it was called pro-Israeli protester punches me in the face. Where on the David Menzies, it was like violence on both sides kind of thing, right? It just sucks. Like, I hate it. It's so bad. I just like, I'm over this topic. I hate it. It's stupid. They're racist shitbags. And yeah, I mean, it's just it's. Sometimes, like, when you don't perceive what they're doing in totality, you might miss it, right? But it is telling when they don't talk about this on the main show. It it shows, like, in their their ability to know that this happened and then for them to downplay it is evidence of them, like, being, as you said, racist. Yeah. And, like, they like to pretend that they're not racist. But, like, how could you look at what they did here and say that it isn't racist? You could be a Rebel News fan. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> and we know, <laughs> we know none of you are that, hopefully. If you're listening to this show, you should, you're probably far removed from being close to their fans. And uh, if you're not, uh, there's always time to change your mind and join us if you're listening. I, I guess I wanted to talk about this because this comes up throughout the whole time Ezra is talking about this, which is like referring to the pro-Palestinian rallies as pro-Hamas rallies. And Ezra goes as far to make the, the point that Hamas are, in fact, Nazis. I think, I, I would certainly like to think, that even if I were not Jewish, and even if I had never visited the place, I would still stand up for Israel against the Hamas terrorist group, an explicitly anti-Semitic organization that can best be understood as a modern reincarnation of the Nazi party. If you read their charter, you can see they explicitly want to kill not just Israelis, but Jews. They don't want to have some sort of rapprochement or new deal with Israel. They want to utterly destroy it and exterminate it. It is language reminiscent of Hitler's Mein Kampf. The conflation of Hamas with Nazis seems like so silly to me especially given the the power dynamics involved in this situation like even even if you were to take the far right at their word that of what Hamas it represents they're never going to achieve the power such to enact anything to the scale the Nazis could do at the level to which they're being targeted right now i don't know it it's just like a bullshit thing to say that they think like gives them the winning argument automatically and it's very funny because like you know they like to talk big shit about the left calling people they don't like nazis and then they're just like oh this group that is fighting an apartheid state that has put them into the world's largest concentration camp are nazis like Huh? Well, then it's then the argument gets really strained when you go, yeah, they're Nazis, so we have to kill children to fight them. And it's like, do you? Was that the necessary step there? Does Ezra have like a question answer period at any point in any of his shows? I want to ask him about the bombing of Dresden. He he does do a mailbag segment, but I, I don't think he only occasionally reads hostile feedback. And it's usually like so like selected, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's thought long and hard about any of these issues, to be honest with you. No, but it's just like very much like, oh, no, like 
this group we don't like must be Nazis. Let's not investigate what they believe. Let's not investigate what they're doing. Let's not investigate um, their stated goals. Uh, let's not investigate their ability to enact harm. Um, let's not investigate anything about them except for the fact that they are fighting the guys that we like. But even when he says something like, this isn't about Israel and Palestine, but this is Israel against Hamas, and it's like, okay, but then why are you killing Palestinians? You know, like, it just, it gets to a point where this gets really constrained, because I don't think Palestinian children are ipso facto Hamas members simply by existing in the Gaza Strip. Even even if we were to take what he's saying seriously, it's like what's happening on the ground is is not playing out at the level in which he's talking about this. It's like, okay, so if it's Israel and Hamas, why do the Palestinians have to suffer for that? And that's never explained in this whole thing. It's like somehow these lives seem like very uh, disposable to Ezra, that they don't they don't even matter in the conflict at all, you know, which is telling on its own. Yeah. And it's interesting how this ties into, you know, it's already, it's inherently an international conflict, but like the international settings of, you know, pro-Palestine activists and pro-Israel activists, I suppose they could also be called, where it's like, you know, this isn't just painting Palestinians in Gaza as pro, as automatically Hamas. This is painting anybody who advocates for Palestine abroad as well and i think you can kind of see where that leads he's painted these entire protests as pro hamas right (laughs) yeah and it like it's the same thing that he kind of always does with muslim groups where it's like they are automatically in some way tied to terrorism and you can kind of see where those sorts of arguments lead to in the fact that there was yet another um, Islamophobic attack in, I think, Edmonton, somewhere in Alberta, today, where some white truck driver pulled over, um, I guess I should specify today, May 27th, as we're recording, where some white truck driver, like, basically blocked a Muslim person who had a Palestinian flag flying from their car, and came up and started, like, banging on the window, trying to smash and, like, break in and just yelling at the guy and also, like, just saying, like, blatantly Islamophobic things, like, talking about how he has a, like, drawing of the Prophet Muhammad in his truck. And, like, he also said something about a picture of Allah, which is, like, okay, you're gonna draw a, like, formless being, whatever. Um, (laughs) Like, and just, you know attacking the guy and when the guy wouldn't like kept trying to get the guy to like come out and fight him and then when the dude wouldn't come out and fight him got mad and just like tried to like smash his car a little bit and then got back in his truck and like drove away like a little piss baby but you know this is where that sort of rhetoric leads is like these increasingly increasing in terms of quantity but then also increasing in terms of like severity attacks upon muslim people in canada especially because you know it's rebel they're based here and you can see that in quebec you can see that in alberta you can see that in ontario like 
we've had so many different Islamophobic attacks recently, let alone, you know, four years ago. And it's all sort of because of this increasing rhetoric and tying Muslims to terrorists and then also like making sure that that is understood that anybody who is pro-Palestine, pro-Kashmir, pro like, you know, any of these sort of groups that can be tied to Islam in any way are automatically seen as terrorists and must be beaten in the streets because of it. I mean, we talked about the rise of anti-Semitism, but we have to acknowledge as well the rise of uh, Islamophobic attacks, which have also uh, coincided with these things. And I mean, it's I I wonder about like what happened in Toronto, what, like how that's going to get characterized. Is it going to be considered a a hate crime that the JDL targeted pro-Palestinian activists, or does it not get classified as a hate crime because they're the JDL? Like I I don't know. Like it just seems to me that's like we like to see, uh, see some specific things and try to uh, define things in certain ways and use them as tools to then further uh, attack, which is like, it's it's sad, but even like the, the rise of anti-Semitic attacks is then used as a tool to start sort of like silent, legitimate uh, dissent against the state of Israel, right? But yeah, it's, it's just a whole fucking mess where it's like, I don't know, let's just not be uh, racists or bigots to anyone, you know? How about that? Brave stance to take. I know it's, I mean, it's an obvious stance to take, but like, look at, look at what the fuck Revel is doing, right? Oh, exactly. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just such frustrating bullshit. So the next thing to get to, which is just more hypocrisy shit, uh, (laughs) Andrew Lawton comes on to talk about, I guess there was this open letter that was written by a bunch of Canadian journalists and they were calling out how the media tends to center Israeli narratives and how they cover the, uh, escalation of violence that occurred recently yeah and andrew goes on to admit that some of these people are opinion writers and he doesn't seem to have a problem with opinion writers and for some reason he centered out uh, andrew demise he was like sharing it quite a bit on twitter and talking about it a lot especially because like it come came out that like cbc was like basically pulling people off of covering anything related to palestine if they had signed on to this letter and like a bunch of other news agencies like pulled people in and were like, you know, yell at them basically for signing on to this letter. And it's interesting because uh, Andrew admits that he doesn't agree with Andre, but then goes, Now I would say, and I am unequivocally pro-Israel, and I own that. I'm very transparent about it. These are the people who claim that their reporting is objective. These are the people who claim that they don't have a bias, that their position is neutral and everyone else's is opinionated. And that's why this is so dangerous, because you have people in the media conspiring it's in an open letter but by definition conspiring to paint israel as being a perpetrator of ethnic cleansing and then andrew wonders if there's anything that's going to be done about this it's all of the people who hold themselves up as the arbiters of truth and neutrality that i take issue with there are i think about two dozen from cbc that have identified themselves as being with cbc numerous others from the globe global ctv lots from the toronto star and in Interestingly enough, I was looking through some of these names, and you might not be surprised by some of them. You might uh, not be shocked, but certainly the volume of it and the transparency of, of, hey, we believe that it's important to tell a biased anti-Israel version 
in our coverage when this thing happens. And I wonder if the public editors are going to respond to this. I wonder if any of the management, any of the owners are going to respond to this. I, I'm not holding my breath, quite frankly. And, like, they don't really go into detail what he means there. But it's just like, you people are the fucking cancel culture whining children constantly about this shit. And here they are advocating for the silencing of journalists for signing a letter because they they think that the editorial stance taken uh, in their media organizations are incorrect. Like, <laughs> just, like what the hell is good? Like, I, I mean, it's obvious that, of course, they're going to do this because it was never really about cancel culture to them. What it's really about to them is that their ideas are canceled. So you have this one instance where they, the media talks about Israel almost the way that they want them to talk to, and they see that going away with these letters. And rather than going, that's a good thing because this is being decided by the people within those organizations that maybe we've been wrong about uh, Israel this whole time, instead it's like, no, we have to silence those writers that disagree with us. And the thing is, it's not even as if that, you know, it's not like this letter came along and suddenly all the media corporations are like, huh, you're right, we're going to be pro-Palestine now. It was a proposition, a challenge to the established narrative, and that is so controversial to them that people might be pro-Palestine, that journalists could be pro-Palestine, that that is suddenly cancel culture, when nothing has come of it so far beyond these people being disciplined at their jobs. I mean, there's also, like, evidence. Like, there was the recent uh, AP journalist, Emily Wilder, who was fired from AP. And we'll talk about it in a second. But AP was one of the buildings that was bombed by uh, the the IDF. And uh, this AP journalist, who was... uh, wrote some pro-Palestinian posts when she was in university... Was, has since been fired from the AP because of those past posts. And how fucked up that is. And you don't see the same people who cry about cancel culture are not coming to Emily Wilder's defense. They're cool with the fact that this woman was fired from her job for supporting a cause when she was in university. So then uh, we get Joel Pollack again. And... Uh, I mean, so they go over some shit we covered last week, which he describes the reasons for the escalation are that it's Biden's fault because he gave money to Palestine. We covered that last week. He also said they're trying to seek agreements with Iran. We pointed out why that was bullshit last week. And then he argues that it's also happening in Biden's fault because Biden pulled funding away from Saudi Arabia. There are a number of other things. This is really a third thing Biden did wrong uh, that are that are related to that Iranian problem. And that's this. Biden downgraded relations with many Arab allies in the Middle East that had made peace with Israel. He pulled out funding from Saudi Arabia, for example, in their war against Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. Okay, and I guess the argument here is because Saudi Arabia and Israel are friends, pulling funding from Saudi Arabia means that Israel is now losing an ally in the Middle East. But even then, they're not... America hasn't been pulling that much funding from Saudi, and I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I also, yeah, I don't know what the fuck he's saying. But also, Saudi and Israel don't have official relations, I'm pretty sure. Like, they're still 
like they they have not had a bullshit peace deal like the UAE or whoever else they fucking did that with. He's he's insistent that Saudi Arabia and Israel are best friends, and the reason is is because the people in Yemen that apparently uh, like the way the way Joel frames it is like the people in Yemen are uh, extreme Islamists. So therefore, Israel has a stake in Saudi Arabia attacking Yemen, I think is the, the angle he's taking. Sorry, we're talking about extreme extremist Muslims and we're taking the side of Saudi? <laughs> that's, that's what he says huh? on the show. I know. It's like, I mean, he was bad at geopolitics in the last episode, but I feel like this was at a level where I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Yeah. Like, it's such an ignorance of, of the dynamics that are going on there. The thing is, like, Saudi and Israel do work together. It's just they don't do it through official channels. So, like, you know, on some level I kind of get the, like, oh, yeah, they're getting along. And I would be so unsurprised if Israel gave, like, Iron Dome stuff to Saudi and if that was, like, a sort of prerequisite for a peace deal or something like that. But also just, like, what the fuck does that have to do with Biden? Yeah. And... (laughs) Money? What? But I will say, Pollock does bring up that he thinks that Israel is going to give an Iron Dome uh, to Saudi Arabia in order to protect Saudi Arabia from Yemen. He does say that. I read that some of these new Arab allies of Israel, uh, that there's talk that they might be provided with these weapon systems by Israel because they're of a defensive nature only, so it's not like Israel is at risk of these being shot at Israel. They're a purely, it's like a bulletproof vest. They're not an offensive weapon, it's just a defensive weapon. Is there any truth to that, those reports that Israel might actually be helping to provide defense to its new Arab friends? Yes, and that's a big positive for those Arab countries. It is likely that Israel will sell the Iron Dome to Dubai, to other places that want to protect civilian population centers from rocket attacks. And that's a very real risk. Think about the fact that the Houthi rebels have fired rockets at Saudi Arabia and that they've damaged oil fields in Saudi Arabia. That caused a major problem for world energy markets. And of course, it's a problem for Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia hasn't signed a peace deal. They might eventually. But one of the things that sweetens those deals is the opportunity to gain access to Israeli defense technology. I mean, whether it's true or not, I have I have no inside information on that. But Joel does uh, speculate on that. We will end it. So he the the final sort of thing he talks about is uh, he he talks about the one PR mistake that Israel apparently made during this uh, recent escalation. And, I mean, it's weird that he says there's only one PR mistake. And even when he explains this as a PR mistake, he immediately backtracks on on it being a mistake. (laughs) So he goes... Israel had to be careful. They didn't want to put those states into a very difficult position by making the war much bigger or more damaging than it was. And that's another victory. Israel avoided any massive civilian casualty events, any embarrassing mistakes, anything that would have drawn international condemnation. The only possible exception was the bombing of the Jalak Tower, where a number of international news organizations had their offices, and there were no one, there was no one hurt there. Uh, plus, they were sharing those offices apparently with Hamas, 
So no one had any real sympathy for the Associated Press or Al Jazeera or any of these other groups. So that, that was the only controversial attack. But Israel felt no qualms about that and said, look, you know, Hamas cannot use journalists as human shields and journalists can't cover up for Hamas. I fucking hate these people. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you seen any of the like infographics that Israel has put out since the like ceasefire started where they're talking about like 200 plus Hamas militants eliminated and stuff like that, where it's like they're claiming every single civilian that they killed was a member of Hamas. Like, I don't know. It's the expansion of like the US war on terror logic where, you know, every adult male over the age of 13 is automatically considered a militant regardless of like anything else in their lives when they are killed by the u.s military and israel is just like oh we can do that but it's like hamas is also the fucking civilian government the whole thing here is is really uh just really sad because it's like it's clear to me that they know they're in the wrong that like and and it's almost like they're in their own ignorance too because Joel Pollock talks about that as being the only PR mistake and I'm like I've I've never seen PR this bad for Israel in ways and the rest of the world starting to come around on it like this was the first like I don't know I've been watching this conflict for 35 years of my life now. well of course like when I was like Two, I wasn't actually watching it. But, like, I can remember watching TV shows when I was, like, 10 and seeing the shit on the news constantly. And this feels like the first time in my life where the the pro-Palestinian argument seems to be gaining more momentum than it ever has before. And it's sad that it has had to take this long for something that has always felt sort of obvious to me. But I guess at the very least, the positive thing that we could take away from this is I feel like our side of this argument is finally starting to to win and become the more dominant view. And I hope, I hope that that can lead to something more substantial uh, for the Palestinians. We've been talking about Palestine again. Go to bdsmovement.net and look up the tenets of the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement and do what you can to avoid Israeli products. I just recently found out that General Mills is on the BDS list because even the UN has recognized them as a a corporation that is doing business illegally in the occupied territories in the West Bank. So, fuck General Mills. We hate them. What cereal does General Mills make? I'm trying to think. Do I do I consume General Mills? Probably. I don't know if that... Well, maybe I actually... Because I think they might be Honey Nut Cheerios, wouldn't they? It's Cheerios? I'm going to look that up. You go on to your next story. I want to look that up now. Yeah, they're Cheerios. Jody's violating BDS. Everybody bullying <gasps> on Twitter. No. Actually, I don't think I've bought uh, Honey Nut Cheerios in a long time, but uh, that was definitely a... My kids definitely enjoyed the Honey Nut Cheerios. But what are you going to do? Fuck them. 
good, you gotta buy the grocery store brand knockoffs. <laughs> I think right now we've just been doing, like, granola and shit like that, so we're good. We're all good. Good. The other thing is, with all that money you are saving by not spending on products that support Israeli apartheid. Specifically on Honey Nut Cheerios. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, you can send some money to help support Saskatchewan inmates. There's a group called Inmates for Humane Conditions that's raising money to help Saskatchewan inmates get through the uh, COVID-19 crisis, uh, which has been really hitting the prairies lately. It's been rough. They're ruled by even further right governments than here in Ontario. So money is going to be used to help inmates with purchasing call packages to keep them connected to their family, uh, help it with canteen for necessary things like vitamins and hygiene products, which are expected to be purchased by inmates and are not provided for free, which is ridiculous. And they started up this campaign after um, 34-year-old Kimberly Squirrel was found frozen to death days after being released from Pine Grove Correctional Center. And the prison had never contacted Kimberly's family to let them know that she had been released from prison. And so there wasn't anybody anywhere to, like, you know, help her get home or help her have a warm place to sleep at night. And she was just basically left to go out and die because prisons do that. And so the hopes of this fund fund is that uh, inmates will be able to continue to contact their families and therefore something like this won't happen again. Uh, So if you have some spare funds, it's an important thing to help out with to avoid more needless death. And then eventually we can transition off of this stupid prison idea that we've held on to for centuries. Yeah. And with that being said, if you have any money left over from your Honey Nut Cheerios fund after you've donated to the Inmates for Humane Conditions, and you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, <laughs> maybe you can give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of the Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all these links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com, as well as Head in a Box over on Facebook. Thank you for listening. And all the CDC members and 12-year-olds who are not vaccinated yet, you cancel. (laughs) Okay, sure. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.